The reading is taken from Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the relevant silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this to end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thanks, Sophie. Do keep your Bibles open there in 1 Timothy 4, if you can. And uh, as we dive into that passage, let me pray for us now. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that your Spirit continues to speak to us today through the words of the Bible. So please help us to listen to what you want to say to us, to concentrate, to understand it, and to see the implications for our lives today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great, obviously, to be commissioning Chris and Rosie, and it's great also to have had Rooted and Encounter involved and to still be with us in the service. And so with that in mind, let me start with a question uh, that was posed by the Encounter group in a treasure hunt that they had around this building a little while ago. Here it is. Where in the church might you find this? Somewhere to work and work out. Okay? Zip it, Encounter. Anyone, anyone know where in, where in this build, church building that might actually be? Oh, yeah, you've been here. Hannah. It's in my office. Yes, correct. Well done. I, I wish I had a prize for you, Hannah, but no, sorry. Sadly, sadly, no. Uh, yeah, because um, if we see the picture uh, come up, we see that actually in one corner we're going to have, uh, we've got the desk and the computer and the place to work. And on the other side, there is the Davina McCall exercise bike. I'm not proud. I'm just desperate. <laughs> uh, so desperate to fit some exercise into my busy days that um, I've got into the habit at the end of the day of, uh, of taking my iPad and flipping it out over the handlebars. It just it fits perfectly. And then tapping away at my emails while I have a workout, um, which is one of the many excuses I have for why my emails are riddled with typos. <laughs> And I know that sounds sad. I know, I know. But we all know how important uh, being, staying physically fit is. You know, we hear that a lot, don't we? The benefits of physical exercise are well known, which is why so many of us uh, go to the gym or for a run or diet carefully or walk for miles and miles. Uh, we invest hours of enormous effort working up a real sweat, jogging, cycling, swimming, uh, 
lifting weights, uh, training for that big match if we're part of a sports team. Some of us even have something to prove. And so we'll enter half marathons or a triathlon or some kind of Ironman competition. But this morning, the Bible wants, us, wants to ask us this question. By comparison, how much effort are we putting into our godliness? And we saw that there in that Bible reading. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. I mean, come on, folks, just think about all the hours of effort and think thought that we plow into our physical health, even though it's just of some value. How much effort are we putting into godliness? Godliness means reverent or worshipful devotion to God. And it's a big theme here in 1 Timothy. It's the reason we pray for kings and governments, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. It comes from knowing Jesus better, the mystery of true godliness, uh, which is revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it's the source of a contented life. As Paul is going to go on in chapter 6 to say that godliness with contentment is great gain. Folks, do you want to be happy? Do you want to find happiness for yourself, for your friends, for your family, for anyone you know? Well, it is to be found in pursuing godliness. Paul says, whoever you are, a church leader like Timothy or myself or Ben, Chris and Rosie being commissioned to take the gospel to a country where very few believe. A ministry area or Bible study group leader here in the church. Or simply a young Christian disciple. Whether you're 60 or 16, it doesn't matter. Train yourself for godliness, says Paul. Why? Why train for godliness? Well, firstly, because we live in a world of spiritual junk food. That's what we saw last week in the first five verses of this chapter where Paul condemned false teaching, the false teaching of some of the leaders in the church at Ephesus where Timothy was based. He even goes as far as to say that it is demonic, which, by the way, all heresy is in the church because it presents a skewed, twisted picture of who God actually is. But now here in verse 7, we've also got irreverent, silly myths. Have nothing to do with them, Paul says. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Folks, there's a lot of spiritual junk food out there. And while we might not be tempted into exactly the same errors as the Ephesians were, we can still ingest heresies and silly ideas that are the spiritual equivalent of smoking 40 a day or eating Mackey D's for every single meal. And we need to train ourselves to spot them. Let me give you a couple examples. What about the idea that God's love for me is mostly to be found in an easy life? That's not true, is it? Because the Bible will tell you that sometimes God's love is actually experienced much more profoundly and deeply In situations of tear-stained brokenness. 
If God's love is only to be experienced in an easy life, then God the Father did not love his only son when he sent him to the cross. Which is, of course, a wicked lie. What about the idea that following God is mostly about being miserable all the time? That going God's way, being godly, will mean that we'll have to give up things that will surely actually make our lives happier in the long run. That's irreverent and silly, isn't it? Gorge yourself on the idea that to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow Christ is the road to misery. And you'll find yourself in Pretty poor shape spiritually. Especially as it seems that that is the very opposite of what Jesus was, the point Jesus was making when he told us to do that. Jesus promises us that following him is the only way to true joy. And God in his kindness has given us so many good things. So many good things. Not so that we will feel mildly guilty from having them but so that we can richly enjoy them ourselves and use them to share with others for their benefit too. Here's the point. Train yourself for godliness because Satan hates God and he wants you to hate him too. Or at the very least, to be merely lukewarm towards him. And the devil's weapons? Heresy. And silly myths. Spiritual junk food. So train yourself to spot his lies so that you won't be sucked in and dragged down. But there is a second reason. There's another reason for godliness. And that is because there is a future life to be had. Look on with me to verse 8. Rather, says Paul, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A friend of mine was really struggling a while back um, with fatigue and really bad headaches and so he went to the GP and the GP, as soon as he'd taken his blood pressure, phoned for an ambulance and packed him off to the hospital where they run a whole load of tests for him during the course of the day before sending him back to the GP who said, this to him. You have two choices. Either you can make some drastic changes to the way you're living now and recover and perhaps live for another 30 years. Or you can carry on living the way you are now and you will die. Seriously, my, my friend says it was, it was that blunt. Uh, they say a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, but that was, there was no sugar coating there at all, was there? But that's exactly the point Paul is making about our spiritual lives here, isn't it? Look at the end of verse 8 again. Godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, we train for godliness because we want future life. It's because we want to live then that we start getting in shape now. It's really important, as I say that though, that we get this in the right perspective. Paul is not saying that the future hope of eternal life with God is something to be earned by anything that we might do in the present. Verse 10 says the opposite of that, doesn't it? For to this end we toil and strive because 
we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul is really clear. Uh, we like to think that we can save ourselves, don't we? But God is the Savior. Only He can save us. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who gives life beyond death. He's the one who brings us back into relationship with himself and gives us power to live differently now. And he does all that for all kinds of people if we believe in him. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, that's how you become one, by putting your trust in God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. But Paul's, but Paul's point for the Christian is this. God saves us by faith in him for a future life that he invites us to start living today. And so your present efforts to live a godly life are not wasted because they will carry forward into the future. Let me think about it. If there's any hint of pride in your life, do you see any hint of pride in your life this morning? Or if you're hesitant about getting to grips with your envy, if you're not doing anything about that constant looking at others and wishing you had what they had, please remember, pride and envy are going to the grave. They have no future at all. So with God's help, get in the gym and root them out now. Because future life, eternal life with God is humble and contented and thankful. So many of us, we're putting in such incredible efforts. You guys in Rooting Encounter with your schoolwork, the rest of us with our work work. So many of us spend many of our evenings and much of our weekends taking on extra courses to kind of buff out our resume. And you're doing that even though the skills and the knowledge you are learning there are only valuable for a short period of time. The very most, the stuff that you're learning will last for only a 40-year career. But Paul here, he is inviting you to engage in a training program that will benefit you and others forever. So like the girl in the gym working on her beach body for the holidays or the boxer training for the big fight ahead. Train like that for godliness. Because godliness is the future, says Paul. Okay, okay, you might say, all right, enough, I get it, I get it, Ken, okay. But how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. (laughs) Because secondly, here we're to see how to train for godliness. I read a while ago an, an article about five steps that you need to take to develop a, a six-pack. For interest only, of course, because clearly <laughs> this information has not benefited me one jot. But do you know what they are? One, you've got to burn more calories than you eat, obviously. Two, do a range of exercise, not just crunches and sit-ups. Three, eat healthily. Four, drink water, intriguingly. I'm not going to go into that. Five, 
sleep more, because apparently you build muscle while you sleep. By which reasoning, of course, every teenager in this room must be absolutely ripped. <laughs> sorry, guys, sorry, guys. Dad joke, I know. Um, no, I, I really hope that you didn't start just taking notes at that point. I mean, I'd be, I'd be so depressed if you just thought, oh, this is finally something worth noting in this sermon. Um, no, instead, what I, want, uh, what I want to give you are five steps to a spiritual six-pack that we're going to see from the rest of these verses in 1 Timothy 4. Here's step one. Be addicted to Bible teaching. Now, we need to remember that this book was written to Timothy. We see that right at the start. He's working here in this church in Ephesus. But the church in Ephesus, they were supposed to read this letter kind of over Timothy's shoulder. They were supposed to get this too. So when Timothy is instructed in verse 11, command and teach these things, the Ephesian church should be thinking, okay, if Timothy is supposed to command and teach these things, we are to listen to him kind of see the same thing in verse 13 don't we until I come devote yourselves literally in the original Greek be addicted to the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching and as Timothy devotes himself to those things the church was supposed to devote themselves to listening to God's word we will not get spiritually ripped without paying careful attention to what God has to say to us. And so therefore, of course, we've got to be reading the Bible on our own, haven't we? Not just coming to God's word for a a little nugget to help us with a particular problem or a question we have, but reading its length and its breadth and, and, and putting our mind to work, applying our brains to understanding doctrine. In other words, the major key themes of the Bible. And yet, even if we do that, We still need to be taught, the Bible tells us. There is something in the public reading and teaching and preaching of God's word which is of particular benefit to us. And the purposes of God gathering together like this to do that helps us spiritually in a way that nothing else can. So for those of you who have any kind of teaching ministry here in uh, the, the church family, Please know that is so important. So make time to prepare properly. Don't skimp on that. Be really careful. Be really thorough to make sure that you teach and lead clearly. And please note as you do that, it's not just teaching that you're called to, but exhorting as well. Literally, again in the original language, begging your listeners to apply God's word to their lives. So in that spirit, let me beg you, urge you, summon you to make coming here on a Sunday absolutely non-negotiable. Listening online, personal Bible reading, and home groups are no substitute for the public reading and preaching, and dare I add, singing of God's word with all of our hearts. And then... Step two, toil and strive. Fight. (laughs) We see that dynamic as we look at the beginning of verse 10, don't we? For to this end, we toil and strive. (laughs) Training in godliness, it won't be easy, will it? Like me when I think about 
whether I really want to go out for a bike ride on a cold and drizzly February morning like this morning, you will find yourself much more wanting to just flop on the sofa with a cup of tea and watch Netflix. You won't always want to pray. You won't always want to read your Bible. You won't always want to come to church or rooted or encounter. You will have to say no to false ideas and wrong doctrines. Even when they're dressed up in attractive ways. Even when they are presented to you by someone you love. You have to show your wallet who is boss. And your time and your career and even your family that Jesus is Lord. Not because being a Christian is miserable, no. But rather because real joy is found in the spiritual gym at the end of a sweaty workout. Folks, complacency is not our friend. And laziness is the enemy of godliness. So get off the sofa and fight. And then, thirdly, set an example. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Here's a reminder, not just to Timothy, but to all of us, that we need to make every effort to live a life that matches up with what we claim to believe. If you lead a home group, or a women's Bible study group, or a children's and youth group, or just your family Bible time. You can't lead those things without letting people see and hear how you live. And notice, this is even for those of you who are young, you can still set others an example. I've say, the world around us, has such low expectations for you guys. And I think here in church, actually, we can fall into that trap as well of, of expecting very little from you, but not the Bible. Oh, no. And so I know of parents and youth leaders in the church who have been challenged to grow in their own godliness through seeing the spiritual hunger that is developing in their children or, or in the youth that they lead. So be a Christian brother and sister whose life and lip matches up, whatever your age. And find someone more godly than you too and follow them. Step four, exercise your gifts. As verse 14 says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you that sound at all familiar to you? Look at all familiar from what we've seen this morning? This refers to the time when Timothy was commissioned for ministry. Like Chris and Rosie have been this morning. Somebody uh, preached a prophetic message and their spiritual gifts, which were given to them by God, not the elders, were affirmed by the laying on of hands, and the whole process, actually, that Rupert talked about of, of kind of assessing their calling. Now, we don't know exactly what Timothy's gift was, but the context suggests it was probably a teaching gift, and that's what most of the commentators think. But regardless of the gift, it is wasteful and ungrateful not to use a gift for the purpose it was intended, isn't it? 
unless, of course, it's another of Auntie Ethel's Christmas jumpers that she's knitted you. But say you get an iPhone instead for Christmas. <sighs> It'd be daft, wouldn't it, to leave it on a shelf in the box. And if you are a Christian, God has given you incredible supernatural spiritual gifts. And we've all got lots of different ones. And they're given to us to help us and others grow in godliness, to build the church up. And they're to be used. So if you're at all unsure what your spiritual gifts are this morning, then why not seek out your small group leader or a trusted Christian friend and ask them what they think those gifts might be and where in the church you might be able to exercise them. The final step, though, is to watch your life and doctrine. That's there in verses 15 and 16, isn't it? Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Timothy is to keep a close watch on himself, on his life and doctrine. And so by implication... So should those who are following his example. So just like a runner keeps track of their progress on Strava or some other kind of running app, or a weightlifter's coach knows exactly how much they can bench press at any given time. So a Christian is to take time to understand how they are getting on spiritually. I don't think we're very good at doing that, actually. Like if I was to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? As I said, many of us might find that quite a difficult question to answer. And it might be because we don't often take time to just stop and think and ponder and pray those things through or ask a trusted friend again how they think we're doing. And so as we finish our service now, that's actually what we're going to take time to stop and do. So we're going to throw some questions up on the screen for you to reflect on. And then the band are going to come up and pray. And we're just going to take some time to just think these questions through and pray them through with the Lord. Because let's remember, <laughs> this is not about us all kind of going, I need to grip my teeth and just try harder. That's, that's how I'm going to go for godliness. No. No. It's a, we cannot do this without the Lord's help. So it's about asking God to fill us with his love for him and make us more like Jesus as together we pursue godliness in his name. So let's take a moment to do that now.